feel like I'm ready to watch a movie when I hear that, but it's, it's good. How you doing this morning, everyone? All right. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors here, and it's a pleasure, as always, to have you with us this morning. If you are here for your first time or if you're here every week, it's great to have you here. Uh, we're going to begin this morning. I want to have a little bit of participation, so I'm going to ask a question and you can respond out loud. So here it is. If there is something, one thing, that you could know for certain about God, what would you want to know? So if there's something that you could know and there was no question that that was truth, what would you want to know? Why the platypus? What? <laughs> That's a great question. Why the platypus? Yeah, you know, um, some people think on really deep levels and, you know, I appreciate that. That's good. <laughs> What's that? You would want to know for sure that God loves you. Yeah. Okay? Good. What else? Am I going to heaven? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Even if you say, yeah, I believe I am, but am I? <laughs> so, yeah, great question. Uh, yeah. Ah, to comprehend the fullness of his favor. So to understand fully, God, why are you so good to me? And really understand that. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, God, I want to know what you think about me and know it as truth. Wow. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Good. Inquisitive bunch, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could probably go all morning, right, and ask questions. I know in the earlier service, there was some questions. Um, there was one of, are my sins really forgiven? Um, someone asked, God, are you really real? I mean, how many would like to know that for sure, right? To say, okay, God, I, I do, I believe 100% that you're real, but are you? <laughs> yeah. And that's okay, that's okay. That's a good thing. I, I mean, that's what I want to know. That'd be the first thing. <laughs> so, just trying to create some tension here this morning. I will not answer any of these questions for you, just so you know. Maybe a couple of them will get to them. But it's okay to live in tension with some of these and still have great faith. But this morning what we're going to do is we continue our series of hunger games. This series is really about asking, what are the different hungers or the things that we long for in life? And, and when we say the longings, this is in general, what are the things that humanity longs for? Things like eternity, uh, for significance, uh, longing for basic provisions, longing for purpose, longing to know truth. Longing uh, for forgiveness and, and for good relationships. I mean, these are things in general that humanity longs for. And the point of this series is to find how does the person of Jesus Christ fulfill those longings, those needs within our hearts and within our soul. And so as we study through, we're basically looking at a section of Scripture in the book of John that is known as the I Am passages. There's eight passages where Jesus says, I am things like the bread of life and others. And we're studying those plus a few other stories in there and looking at them and how can these truths about Jesus bring satisfaction in our life? So that is the purpose of this series. And and because Jesus is the one who claimed to be the great I am. And that's this word in scripture that related to God being the creator God, the one who's before all, who creates all, who causes all things to be. And, and so Jesus says, that is who I am. So how does that 
fulfill our longings. Now the longing that we're looking for today is actually kind of sprinkled in a few of those of what you've asked or mentioned this morning. And that is a longing for assurance or a longing to be reassured or to have security in our relationship with God. So we're going to look at a little bit about, and we're going to look at a story we started last week where Jesus fed this large group of people through a miracle of using the bread and a couple fish. And then he makes this statement. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, last week we cut the story off about halfway through when people then went to Jesus after this big miracle and he looked at them and said, you come to me not because you've seen a miracle, but you've come to me because your bellies were filled. You don't even care about the one who created this miracle. You just care that you had something to eat. And, and so the point last week we were looking at, when we look at the needs in our lives, we look, at to the save, we look to Jesus and he says, look to the provider, not the provision. But now this week we're going to take it a step further and say, how, what is the teaching about the be, Jesus being the bread of life? How does that affect who we are and how does that actually bring security in our relationship with God. What does he mean there? So we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit deeper. And we're going to find that this whole statement about the bread of life is Jesus saying that in me you'll find that I am enough for your forgiveness. You can rest assured you're forgiven. You can rest assured that you know how, what I think about you. You can rest assured that there's eternal life through me and in me. So that's the point of this morning. So I invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you again for today, and uh, I thank you even with all of these questions that we have and that I often have about you, that somehow, God, you can uh, still show up in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of some of our confusion and our misunderstandings, and you still pour out your love on us. So I pray, God, this morning that you teach us, that you challenge us, and you'd help us to understand more about who you are as uh, we give you this morning. And we thank you for today. In your name, amen. So we're going to look at the rest of the story in the book of John chapter 6. And to get a better understanding of that, we're going to begin in the book of Exodus chapter 16. So if you are new to the Bible, uh, Exodus is kind of right near the beginning. It's the second book of the Bible. You go from Genesis to Exodus. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 16. Because to really understand... The statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 6 when he says, I am the bread of life, you cannot understand that passage without understanding Exodus 16 and to know what is happening here. So we're going to begin here in Exodus chapter 16. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 2 and just to get you up to speed of what's happening here is the nation of Israel existed in slavery in Egypt for a period of, we don't know, a couple hundred years or a few decades or whatever it is, there's a period of time they were living in, Israel, or in Egypt and eventually were in bondage and in slavery. And so God calls this prophet named Moses and Moses goes to Pharaoh and, and says, hey, let my people go. It's a story many of us are familiar with and sends a series of plagues on the Egyptian people to convince them to let the Israelites to free them from their slavery and to leave. So this has now happened. They've been set free and now they're wandering through the desert and they get to, they're being pursued and this the miraculous parting of the Red Sea opens up and the Israelites are able to go through and it closes up and the, the Egyptians no longer pursue them and some are trapped in the water. And so they give up and the Israelites are now on their own in the wilderness. Okay, And to know a little bit of this wilderness, it's kind of like leaving 
where they were in Egypt would be like the fertile land. It's kind of like living, you know, in north coastal San Diego County. And they've been led out of, but they're slaves here. And they're led from there and now they're living in the Palm Desert. So if you can picture the Palm Desert before golf courses and resorts, that's kind of where they now exist. And some of you, that's paradise. And to many of us, that is the opposite of paradise. So, <laughs> so in verse uh, 2, we pick up what is happening uh, as they wander in the wilderness. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And keep an eye on that word grumbled. Uh, we're going to see that word pop up again in John chapter 6. Uh, basically think of it as complaining or whining. Okay, So they were whining and complaining. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So what's happening here is the nation of Israel was just set free from years and years and years of slavery and bondage. They were being beaten, they were worked to the bone, many died through that process, and now they've been set free through the miracles of God. They see the sea part miraculously, and now they say, we wish we were slaves again. We'd rather die sitting by pots of meat being slaves than out here. This is kind of the equivalent to any of you who have kids, maybe you can relate. You take your kids to Disneyland for the day, and the happiest place on earth, and you have a good day, and you have fun, and then, and then you're leaving, and they say, hey, I want to have, you know, a $16 waffle cone filled with ice cream. And you say, no, we're not going to have that. This is the worst day ever. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's called parenting, right? 101. So that's kind of what's happening here with the Israelites. I mean, they just saw the miracles of God. He's leading them. His presence is there. And then they go, oh, this, it's hot out here. I just want to go back and die next to a pot of meat. <laughs> so if I were God, I would grant their wish. <laughs> but God seems to be nicer than I am. So let's see what happens here. Verse 4. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, so I may test them whether or not they'll walk in my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, they can bring in twice as much as they gather. And the purpose of that was so on the Sabbath, they didn't have to do any work. So every day they were instructed, go out and gather this bread. You're going to see bread that will rain from heaven. You can gather it, but only gather what you need for the day. And then the, the sixth day, gather twice as much as you need. And, and you have what you need. Now, Verse 6, he says this, In the evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings or your whining against the Lord. And what are we that you're grumbling against us? Now verse 8 kind of gives a little more explanation here that is assumed here in verse 6, where he says, Moses says, Okay, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings that you grumble against him. And what are we that you're grumbling against us? So what happened is actually God made a deal with them. He said this, I'm going to rain bread on you in the morning, but in the evening there would be quails, a kind of a, a desert bird, which show up in your camp and there'd be plenty of quail to eat so you could go out at night and you could catch the quail and you could eat meat at night. 
So every evening there'd be plenty of quail. Now how this happened, I don't know. Was it that they were where they were at and camping? Was it part of a migratory place where all these quail would show up at night? It doesn't really matter. It could be. Some people want to look for a rational explanation, and that's fine in this case. But what we do know is at night, every night, they had meat to eat that would satisfy them and that would sustain them. And so God, Moses says, in the evening, you will know that the Lord has led you out of Egypt. Uh, one way to think of this is I, I once had a mentor who, when I was working on a church plant, he was in his 80s and had planted many churches. And, and he told me one time, he said, Ryan, God pays for what he orders. And I said, well, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, one way you can know if God is leading you somewhere is if the, he's providing for you in, in a way or another. Now, the way he provides might be very practical in that he gives you a job. You get a job and you're getting a paycheck. In this case, God led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness so that they may know for sure that God is leading them. He said, don't worry, you're going to have food at night. So you don't have to question whether God is in this because you have what you need still to survive. And that's how they would know. He says, in the evening you will know that the Lord is the one who's led you out. But notice the difference here in verse 6 when he says, in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because in the morning there was something different that happened. They would wake up in the morning and there was these tiny, it said, thin wafers of bread. Kind of the way to describe it, think of it as like frosted flakes kind of covering the ground. And so they'd wake up in the morning and there would be this sweet bread wafer everywhere and it had enough for them to eat for the day now there is no logical explanation for the frosted flakes showing up every morning you can explain the quail and you could say okay god let us out but he's he's led us to a place where there's food but in the morning there's no logical explanation to say how bread got there every morning every morning for 40 years while they wandered through the desert and Moses says, in the morning, you will see the glory of the, war, the Lord. And in Hebrew, glory is this word that we've talked about before. It's kavod. And kavod means weight or heaviness. In the morning, you will see the heaviness of God. You will sense his presence in this place through the bread. Because there was no other explanation than the presence of God is in this place. So the manna... Every, and, and they called that bread manna. So in the morning, every day when the manna was there, it was there to remind them that God was in the place, in that place. See, the manna wasn't about filling their bellies. They had the quail at night for that. The manna was their way of saying, God has not departed from your presence. He's with you. He's with you this morning. And every single morning, they woke up and saw that manna they said, oh, God is with us. Now that's why he said, don't collect more than you need for a day. Because collecting more than you need for a day would be like saying, we're not sure if you'll be with us tomorrow. So we're going to make sure we have enough for a couple days just in case you forget to show up. And scripture tells us, uh, the, the writer here of Exodus says, if they collected more than, if they had any left over when they woke up the next morning, it was filled with maggots. That's a mistake you make once. Because God said, trust me that I will be here again tomorrow. I will be here again. 
So the whole point of manna from heaven wasn't filling them and filling their bellies. It was to remind them that God was in that place. The glory of the Lord. The presence of God could be seen. So, let's now turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, it's in the New Testament here, kind of towards second third of the book, or the second third, yeah, towards the end of the Bible. And in John chapter 6, this is taking place at the time of year when the Israelites, around Passover, when they would be reading the stories and recalling the events of being led out of Egypt. So it seems very interesting timing for Jesus to perform the miracle of providing food from the bread for all these people and feeding them near the time of Passover. It was very intentional because what was on their mind was this manna from heaven and how God showed up time and time again. So here and now he feeds this large group with just a few loaves of bread. And then he makes a statement and says, okay, you've seen this miracle, now you need to know, I am the bread of life. So we want to look at now, Jesus is relating himself to the idea of manna. The manna that came from heaven, miraculously from God, to remind them that his presence was in this place. Jesus says, no, that's me. I am that. I am the manna. See, that miracle when he performed to feed this large group of people wasn't about feeding them. It was about showing them the glory, the presence of God. So what do we learn from this? What is the meaning of the bread and the manna? We have this uh, in your outline. There is no PowerPoint this morning, by the way, for those of you who need PowerPoint. Um, trust me, this stuff is, is still counts, even without PowerPoint. If you need to see it written down somewhere after the message, you can come up and look at my notes. And uh, I'll even put it into PowerPoint for you. But yeah, so here's a few things that we learn about. What do we learn? What is the meaning of the bread and the manna? And the first thing that we get from the bread and the manna is we learn that God's plan is to give life. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Okay, Brian, thank you for that deep truth. God's plan is to bring life. But again, the man in the desert was about his presence, but it was also saying, here's, here's bread for you. But now look what Jesus does. Let's look in John chapter 6, verse 38. We're skipping all the way kind of through some stuff here. And Jesus says, I have come down. Actually, let's go to 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I've said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will not cast out. So he's obviously making a statement more than just eating food here, right? So verse 38, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that anyone, that all that he has given to me, I will lose no one. But raise him up on that last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise them up on the last day. So Jesus is saying, oh, I'm the bread of life, just like the manna. I've come down from heaven, just like the manna, and I have come, the whole purpose is to bring life to you, to bring eternal life. Now, many of you have no problem accepting that or believing that for yourself. 
I mean, it's easy to say, I believe, okay, I, I'm willing to accept that Jesus, you come to bring eternal life, you've offered me eternal life, I accept that. But I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, would say there's just some other people out there that I have a hard time believing that you come to give them life. I have a hard time believing, and, and for you, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's someone who has different, radically different political views, or someone who uh, has different lifestyle choices, and, and, and people who maybe struggle with sins that you don't struggle with, or whatever, and you say, I don't know if Jesus came to bring them life. Or maybe you know it in your head, because a lot of us know it in our head. But when it really comes out in our heart, we don't feel the same way. For a nice superficial example, um, I'll share a little something from my life. Uh, we have three kids. And one thing about having, having kids is, is you can do whatever you want to me. You can say whatever you want to me. But don't mess with my kids. Um, and, and, and if you are appear of my my kids and you pick on them or you bully them I don't really you know like you very much (laughs) and so some of my kids have actually through school have like most of us have had experienced some bullying where people would pick on them or or you know really um, call them names push them things like that and my response to them at that point isn't well you know Jesus the bread of life comes to give them eternal life as well my response has been at sometimes, let me teach you how to punch them in the nose. <laughs> I'm going to teach you, and if you do it really fast and quick, it'll bleed a lot. And it won't really hurt them too much, but it'll bleed a lot. And then everyone will think you're really tough, and, and, and they won't mess with you anymore. And, and this is, you know, when they're in second grade. So I'm, I'm, and you'll be able to get through the rest of your elementary school days as the tough kid, and no bully will mess with you. So that's kind of my godly pastoral advice in the other room i hear my wife saying stuff like well i don't know what's going on at their home i wonder what it's like and 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 what are they going through that's causing them to act that way and i think i don't care hit those kids (laughs) now i i don't take it to a spiritual level and think i don't those kids are not going to heaven they deserve nothing other than hell i mean i'm not there you know, on a, on a level like that, it can show how just little things, we can say, those kids aren't deserving of love. Those kids aren't, those kids are mean. Those not, I, I don't care what they need to be redeemed in their lives. I don't care what's broken. They're mean kids. They need punishment. <laughs> I wonder how many of us feel that way spiritually about other people. When you say, yeah, 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 I know ultimately God is here to restore, redeem, and, and bring life to those who need life, which is all of us. But I wonder how many of us actually say, yeah, but those people, those people, they kind of deserve the hand of God and the judgment. See, but the bread of life teaches us that Jesus comes to bring eternal life to everyone. Do you know in the camp of Israel when the manna came down from heaven, it didn't discriminate? It didn't say, all of you who whined and complained, you have to go find your own food. Because again, if I were God, that's what I'd say. I'm like, okay, anyone who didn't complain, have all you want. If you were complaining, nope, sorry, you're on your own. But God gave bread to all of them. To the whiners, the complainers. Those who said, God, I don't care about your miracles. I want to be a slave again. Jesus uses that as a metaphor and says, I come to bring life to anyone who beholds me, who believes in me. And notice he doesn't say to anyone who fixes their act and gets everything straightened up. 
He says, to anyone who believes. It's incredible. So the bread of life, first thing that we teach is that God's plan is to bring life, to redeem and restore. Second thing that we learn here, the meaning of the bread of life is, is God's glory, His presence is in His people. Remember, the manna from heaven was to remind them every day of God's presence, His heaviness, His glory was among them. In an idea of, the, of a New Testament perspective, as we become followers of Jesus, God's glory, His presence, His image and character rests in us. As we consume the bread of life, so to speak, of Jesus Christ and we become more like Him, God, the meaning of it, the purpose of it, is that His glory may be among us. That the world may see who Jesus is because they see us. Do we beat that drum often here? Yes, we do. You know why? Because that is the basic, of, uh, the basic premise of Scripture, is that He's created us to represent His name to the world. We are called, those of you who are followers of Jesus, to represent His presence, the bread of life in us. We have this commitment, this initiative this year here at Seacoast. We're calling it Love Encinitas. And if you live in Carlsbad or San Marcos or Oceanside or anywhere else, we love your city too. Our church just happens to be in Encinitas. So we're calling it Love Encinitas. And the whole purpose of it is we want to partner with organizations. We're going to partner with a school, Ocean Knoll, right up the street. Sunset High School, which is right down the street. Um, CRC, it's a community resource center. We already have a relationship, but we want to do more. And these are our tangible ways as a community where we want to show the community that the presence of Jesus is with us. And we want to just love the way God loves because that's what he's called us to. We're not doing it so we get anything. We're doing it because if we are, the bread of life is in us and through us, we need to put the bread of life on display for the world to see. We need to show that this is a God worth following, that we find life in Christ, and it's life worth sharing. G.K. Chesterton, a, a famous author, my favorite, wrote in the early uh, 20th century. He wrote this. He said, what the, world, what the modern world needs is a prophet, not the prophet of old that was there to remind us to change our ways or we will die, but the modern world needs a modern prophet that will remind us that we are not dead. See, I think sometimes in our faith, we forget that Jesus Christ brings life and we are not dead. We're not intended to just walk around and keep what we have and say, okay, this is great. But we have life. We should be sharing it. We should be living it. We should be experiencing the bread of life. So God's presence is in his people. And we should share that. The next thing we learn, so we learn that uh, from the bread, that God's plan is to bring life to all people, that his glory rests in his people. And then the next thing we learn is that the bread of life tells us that we can be assured of our standing in God's eyes. Now what does that mean? Let's look at verse 47 through 51 in John chapter 6. Jesus says this in, in, in verse 47. He says, Truly I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. And I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. Okay, so there's a statement about the manna. That wasn't sustaining eternal life. But this bread, which comes down out of heaven, 
so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now let me take a time out here. Jesus is not advocating cannibalism. Uh, Some people, and you will see here in a moment, the response of the crowd, but there's nothing about this where he's, anyone who heard it thought, oh, is he saying we have to eat him? They They didn't think that. That would have been crazy. Even their response, I'll get to it in a moment, where they seemed to be asking about that, was their way of saying, we don't want to hear what you have to say. And they're trying to twist around what he's teaching. But he obviously is speaking in metaphor and saying, the life I come to bring anyone who consumes it, my life, who I am in spirit, you will have life. And then he starts bringing up this language of the very life, the eternal life is found in my flesh. He's starting to speak of what will happen through his life through a death and resurrection that happens later in this book. But he reminds us that anyone who believes will have eternal life. Anyone who believes will have eternal life. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say anyone who believes and follows every command perfectly has eternal life. He doesn't say anyone who believes and who reads their Bible every day. Anyone who believes and always goes to church, never misses a Sunday, has eternal life. Anyone who believes and prays every day has eternal life. Anyone who believes and has all the Bible knowledge in the world has eternal life. Anyone who believes and who never sins has eternal life. He doesn't say that. He says, my life for you is enough. Anyone who believes in me shall have eternal life. Jesus is enough for your spiritual health in your life. Guess what? Coming to church doesn't make you any better in the standing in the eyes of God. You can rest assured with that. Now, do we think that coming to church is a good idea? We do. We think it's commanded in Scripture. We, we like to gather together because it reminds us once a week that there's other people as crazy as we are who follow this God who's transformed our lives. And it's a God worth living for that we worship our god because we need that reminder and that kind of spiritual uh boost to be reminded of yeah this is something worth living for why do we read scripture not because god says oh you're better now because if we want to live the ways of jesus we need to know what he did and said why do we pray because if we say we have a relationship with god we should be in communication why do we have life groups and small groups as a church Not because it makes you better in the eyes of God, but because we believe it's healthy to have a place where people look at you and say, you're lying to me. Tell me the truth. Because if all you ever experience is a large group, we're pretty good at faking things, aren't we? Show up on a Sunday morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Worst morning of my life. I'm fine. Yeah. Well, it's not appropriate to say everything in a large group. But that's why we do small groups. Does it make you better in the eyes of God? No. Does it make you healthier as a follower of Jesus? Yes, of course. But Jesus is enough for you. Believing in him assures you of eternal life. All that other stuff is God's way of changing us and molding us and shaping us more into his likeness so we can experience a more full life. But Jesus is enough. He promises us this here in Scripture. He promises it us of that now what should our response be how should we respond to this 
Look how the crowds respond to Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 52. The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So again, right here, it's not that they actually were thinking he was saying, you have to eat my flesh. From a historical perspective, understanding Hebrew culture, that would have been an abomination. They couldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. But so they asked this question, I believe, as a way of kind of twisting his words because they weren't ready to hear what they had to say. These were very good rule followers. They didn't want to hear that Jesus was enough. They wanted to hear that, make sure that you pray this many times each day. Make sure you follow all these commands. They took the Ten Commandments and they added uh, their own interpretation and added 619 different commands to follow the law of God. And you had to memorize them and live them out perfectly. They wanted that kind of life. So when Jesus says, no, I'm enough for you, they wanted to twist his words and say, wait, you are not the Messiah we hoped you would be. So they start saying things like, oh, he wants us to eat his flesh? Really? Oh, are you going to follow this guy? And I love how Jesus, respo- how Jesus responds because he plays their game. It's so great. He says, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, do have not, you don't have life in yourselves. Now at this point, um, if you ever want to do street evangelism, I recommend you don't start with these verses. This doesn't necessarily draw people into the presence of God. <laughs> but he's not obviously speaking literally here. He says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he goes on to say, My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks it abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me will live because of me. Really, Jesus, do you even, why do we even put this in Scripture? If I were to edit the Bible, I seriously, I would take this out. Even though I can explain it, I just say, like, don't even bother. That's just ridiculous. Take it out. Verse 58, this bread which came down, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Again, He's speaking metaphorically about his life. Believe in me, consume me, accept me, and you have eternal life. As it goes on, you see in verse 60, many of his disciples, these are students, and it's not just the 12 here. Many of his students, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And Jesus, conscious that they were grumbling against him, said, does this cause you to stumble? And then let's jump down a little bit more. Uh, verse 65, For this reason I've said none of you can come to me unless you've been granted by the Father. Verse 66, As a result of Jesus' teachings, many of his disciples or his students withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus has this great miracle of feeding this large crowd with some bread. He tells them, I am the true bread. In me and me alone do you have eternal life. You have everything you need. My presence will rest in you and among you. And the great teaching of the greatest man to ever live, God in flesh, loses a bunch of his students. They leave. They leave. And Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and said, you don't want to go away also, do you? And I love this response. Check out this response right here of Peter. Simon Peter, he, if you're familiar with Scripture, he says a lot of great things, doesn't he? This one he says this. 
he looks at Jesus, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, Jesus just lost a whole bunch of students and disciples. They left and said, this is crazy. This is too much. Seeing that you're enough, that you are God in flesh, that you bring eternal life and we should be consumed with you, that's too much. They couldn't take it. And Peter looks at Jesus and Jesus says, you want to leave too? He says, where would I go? Where else would I go? Because you have words of eternal life. See, Peter got it. Peter got it. He understood that he was in the presence of God. And though I guarantee you it didn't all make sense to him. See, the disciples didn't have it all figured out and we should take great comfort in that as followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus constantly told them, hey, I'm going to die and and rise again. Okay, so don't worry, it's going to happen. So when Jesus dies on the cross, you know where the disciples went? They left. They said, oh, whoops, guess we got that one wrong. None of them remembered what he said. So they had doubts still. They still had failures. But Peter sat with Jesus and said, where would I go? Even in the midst of, I I don't have it all figured out. I have questions. But where would I go? You have words of eternal life. I'm here. A pastor of uh, Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton, who is an acquaintance of mine, says this once. He said, when we sit in wonderment of all that God has done, He said, when you do that, you will naturally join in the mission of what God wants to do with others. And the way you live and speak, put the beauty and majesty of Jesus on display. In other words, the more and more we sit in wonderment of what God has done in our lives and the lives of others around us, the natural response is to join in his mission. See, Peter was sitting in wonderment of all that Jesus has done. He didn't get caught up in the wait, how, the why, the wait, wait, this doesn't make sense, or I think you should do it this way, or why is that person in and this person's out? I don't get it. He sat in wonderment and said, God came to us and brings life. And when we sit in wonderment of that truth, we can't help but to join in the mission. So what is our response to the bread of life? It's to say, Jesus because you assure eternal life, because you don't ask me to be perfect first, you just call out to me, my response is to join in your mission, to put the bread of life on display in my words and my deeds. The other night, um, I, I coach Little League Baseball, and I have a team of, of 10 and 11-year-old baseball players and our team has had a good season, but we also, we won this fundraiser, this league-wide fundraiser. And the, the grand prize for winning it, which was a, a reward for the students and punishment for the coaches, was that uh, the students, we, we won this limo ride to a Padres game, which is pretty cool. You know, I mean, they had to wait till they're 10 years old to ride in a limo. But um, <laughs> so, so our team of 12, 10, and 11-year-olds are waiting at the baseball fields and their peers are playing games and this big old Escalade limo pulls up and, and we get to get in there and uh, the company graciously stocked it full of very caffeinated Coca-Colas. And um, so three of the coaches and I get in the limo. We tried to sit in the very front. They didn't let us. Um, so we had to sit in the back with the, the 10 and 11-year-olds and, and went to the Padres game and, and we got in early and got to meet some players and, and they got autographs and just had a good time, a bunch of baseballs from batting practice and just had a, a, a blast. 
as 10, 11 year olds do. And uh, when the game uh, was over and we, we got them out of their seats and, well, they weren't in the seats the whole game, but when we decided to finally leave and told them, go get your stuff, you know, we go back to the limo and um, drive home. And when we got out of the limo, the parents were waiting and the coaches, we got out and then the boys started getting out um, one by one. And I think there was only one of them who at that point at 11 o'clock at night still had his shirt on. And, and so they all come out and they're like shirtless and caffeinated and had fun at the baseball game and saw these players and they just got out and I was looking at them thinking, first of all, I'm pretty sure that this, I, I have no explanation and I didn't even try. Just said, there's your kid. <laughs> but we got back and I was thinking, you don't have to tell 10 and 11 year olds how to just enjoy the moment. You don't have to say, hey guys, you know, Embrace this moment. This is a great opportunity. And you should probably just, don't even worry, just let loose a little. I mean, we had to give them some rules. Don't, don't jump out of the limo when it's moving, things like that. But um, for the most part, it's like, just enjoy yourself. You deserve it. And you see them meet baseball players and their eyes light up just to play the game, to be there, just to enjoy the moment. You don't have to explain it and tell them how to behave. They just get it. And I wonder sometimes as followers of Christ if we kind of miss out on the moment because we have tried to civilize what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up. But I really believe that unlike Peter, sometimes we look at Jesus and say, yeah, yeah, you have have words of eternal life, but come on, let's make some more sense of it. Let's be a little more civilized. And I think sometimes that we've taken this idea of following the God of the universe, the bread of life, his presence that's in us and among us, and we've tried to create it into some sort of organized fashion, and we say nothing should ever be out of the ordinary. And we're missing out on what it means to sit in wonderment of the God of the universe and to just experience life. Like a bunch of 10 and 11-year-olds who just say, okay, here we are. Can we as followers of Jesus just say, whatever you need, I want to be there. I want to experience it. I don't care if I have to rationalize it. And you know, this morning you might be here and you might be filled with doubt, with failures, with inadequacies. But remember that Jesus never tells you to fix all of those first. He says that what he's about to do on the cross is enough. What he did on the cross is enough for us. He says, consume me and fill yourself with, the, with, with him. Experience the fact that you are not dead and life is available to you. That the bread of life means that we have all that we need. And we have this abundant life that's waiting for us. As we end our time and just sing one last song, I want to just invite any of you who feel like you've kind of squished the bread of life into a box, or maybe you've made the bread of life into a side dish, a little piece of toast with the rest of your religion. (laughs) Maybe some of you are on the Atkins diet and you haven't even been consuming the bread of life. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is the main course. It's all you need. I wonder if this morning there's some of you who need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I want to come back to just me and you. You're enough. I'm tired of trying to 
make the list of all the things I need to do to be right in your eyes and let me just be in your presence. Let me let you lead me as I go. Maybe some of you this morning, you've never put your faith in Jesus and said, I believe and I want eternal life. And this morning is your chance. So as we end this last song, we're actually going to have a couple of people near the cross that would love to pray for you about whatever it is. Uh, They'll be here after the service too. And if you feel, hey, I don't want to get up and walk in front of people to pray, you know what? Who cares about that? If you want prayer, go. No one's going to be looking and wondering what you need prayer for. Let's let the bread of life be enough for us as a community today. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you are enough for us. I thank you that like the manna in heaven, you remind us daily that you are present and you haven't left us. That we have eternal life that's found in you, God, and and, in no other place. And so this morning I pray that we would have the courage, like Peter, to say where else would we go? And God, if we've been running to different places and trying to find eternal life through other works, God, this morning that we could turn from that and turn just to you. So we thank you and give you this time now, Lord, and ask that you continue to move in this place. In your name, amen. Stand with us as we sing this last song here.